podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast. Today, we're having a conversation with Alexander Schwal from Rabbit Analytics. That's with an H, R-H-A-B-I-T, Analytics. Um, they're an analytics and HR and uh, feedback assessment company from the US. Um, and we have a really interesting conversation. What, what are we chatting to him about today, Jane? So today we are talking to Alexander about organizational network analysis Away. and how you can collect data on, interpret and visualize the networks in your organization that go beyond the organization chart. Yeah, that's right. So we cover a range of things. We cover why these organizational networks are interesting, different ways you can measure them, be it through surveys or other um, analysis tools and some of the things you can do with them and how to get started if you're interested in that. And we also touch on one potential issue around ethics that we think might be relevant as well. Excellent. I'm really excited about this conversation. I think that you are too. I am indeed. It's a great topic. Let's get going. Okay, so here we are in the core of this episode. And today we're having a conversation with Alexander Schwal from Rabbit, an analytics company in Pittsburgh. And we're going to be speaking about organizational network analysis, uh, amongst other things, and seeing where the conversation goes. Um, before we get into that topic, though, Alexander, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and perhaps what Rabbit does? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, my name is Alexander Schwal. I'm the chief scientist and a co-founder of Rabbit Analytics. We are located in Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania in the U.S., um, and um, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist uh, by training. So this is this is where my mind is at. And uh, here at Rabbit, my job is to make sure that you know everything is kind of uh, scientifically sound. Everything is, is is working. We started Rabbit about three years ago, um, three years in February. Um, yeah. To to build really useful, I don't know, software that makes it very very easy for people to exchange feedback with each other. Um, and then we use that feedback to, mm -hmm. we roll that up and we give it back to the individual, we give it back to managers, we give it to talent managers and leaders of the company to make good decisions about development, for example. But part of the outcome of this feedback process is that we know who's working with whom. Okay. And that's network information. And that's how this ties into organizational network analysis. This is how we, how we, uh, Kind of discovered uh, organizational network analysis and I thought, and thought wow, this is really cool. And, uh, we've been doing it ever since. Yeah, okay. So it kind of grew out of a core of your work and it's, it's something that you started to bolt on as a deliverable for your clients or? It, it, exactly. We, 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 our product delivers a lot of data and uh, ONA, like, unlike most other tools, is really suitable to visualize this data and puts it in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an image that makes you understand complex information quite easily. So for us, this is perfect because we want to empower our users to not just you know, have the data, but do smart things with it and understand it and have insights. Yeah, cool. Well, it sounds an interesting journey. Um, before we get into a little bit more on the ONA, um, organizational network analysis stuff itself, would you be able to just have a bit of a lay introduction to maybe what networks are and a little mini introduction yeah. to network theory that might help people who aren't aware of this type of work? 
Absolutely. And I really thought hard about how to do this the right way because yeah. organizational network analysis this is this really visual thing, right? You if you if you Google it and if you look at uh, you know the images that that this comes up with, you see a lot of dots with lines connected to it. And mm -hmm. and but to explain it just verbally is is quite hard. So here's here's my step, and maybe I need to take multiple steps. So so yeah, it's be exciting. patient with me. Um, yeah. We basically in in any organizations, in any type of organization, people have social ties, have connections with each other. Uh, mm -hmm. They talk to each other. They're friends with each other. They collaborate with each other. They share secrets with each other. Um, all of these connections form the organizational network or the informal network. This is the, the type of network that describes how people are interacting, how they tie to each other. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds pretty trivial, but it, it has enormous implications and just absolutely fascinating applications. The, the second way to explain this and make this maybe come to life a little bit more is to contrast it with you know, the old traditional formal network of an organization. It's kind of explaining what it is not. And, and maybe uh -huh. I can take a step at that. Yeah. The, the um, like, if, if you ask an organization what, how they're organized, right? They will say, oh, yeah, we have a department here, department there, marketing and accounting. They will talk about who's reporting to whom. Uh, they yeah. will talk about to teams and, and what their team leaders are and stuff like that. And, and that, that is all well and good, but that is, you know, the, the, the formal network that is often visualized in the org chart. So you have yeah. departments, leaders, and all that stuff. And, and that, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but it's a really old traditional way to think about companies. And it goes back to the beginning of the 20th century, like early management theorists, you know, thought about uh, how, to, how to structure organizations like that. But the reality is, this is not how companies work. The, the reality is that you have these informal networks, that you have this organizational network of people, you know, being connected to each other, reaching out to yeah. others for help, uh, helping others in return, uh, knowing who knows what in the company. It is, it is a very different concept. And while the, the traditional network is, is visualized in the, in the org chart, right? The, uh -huh. the org network is visualized in the organizational network visualization or organizational network analysis. And that's the thing with like all the dots, the lines, yeah. it looks like a big fuzzball. Um, yeah. It looks pretty chaotic because that's what organizations are. They are chaos with some organization behind it. So that's, yeah. that, that's that basically. Yeah. So I guess each person is, you know, I, I guess a dot in an organization uh, in, in the yes. network analysis that you're mapping. And then the lines that come off them are their relationships with others on certain sort of dimensions. Is that right? That's exactly right. So you, you, you think of uh, yourself in your organization and think of who you're working with. Um, you would be a dot. They would be a dot. If you work with them, you probably would be connected with a line. Uh, and that's also the tricky part of drawing these because this can get complex very, very easily. But software has made it quite easy to do that for us and um, maybe I'll get into that a little later but yeah, um, yeah you, you can you can see where where am I in relation to the rest of the organization which can be quite fascinating actually yeah and I guess in in different organizations it's going to be different but you probably get situations where there are individuals who maybe have only one line or a very few number of lines into other people and they're quite um, perhaps siloed and remote and then you've probably got some people who have a whole host of lines coming in and out of them and they're quite 
um, at the center of a set of relationships. Is that fair? Is that a fair distinction? That, that's absolutely correct. And this is where ONA becomes such a useful tool because it, it shows you who are the people who are, you know, so-called isolates, uh, people who mm -hmm. have maybe one connection there on the periphery of the network. And that is something to, you know, think about. This could be a good thing or a bad thing. It could be normal. And then, of yeah. course, you have people who are really embedded in the organization. And this is where ONA just delivers tremendous value because um, somebody who's highly, uh, you know, central to the company and there are different types of centrality. But if somebody's highly central, this could be a really good thing. This yeah. could be a really bad thing as, as well. If this person, for example, you know, gets gets hit by the uh, by the proverbial bus, at least that's what happens to people in, in the U.S. Um, yes, they, same here. Um, Saying there, um, you know, how big of a of a of a hole do they leave behind, and, and how much of communication will be will be uh, you know stymied by this person not being there anymore? You you can also ask questions around: Are we burning people out because they're just over leveraged? They have too many connections. Yeah. They have too many masters. Too many internal customers. So uh, the the you, you you can analyze the the structure as a whole, um, and you can analyze or understand individuals. And, and this is where, you know, you have, you have like these, these moments where companies say, wow, we were not aware of that because yeah. these people may be people who you'd never would have expected to be so central to your company. Sure, sure. Well, so, it, it's like, hi, it's, what, it's like, um, you know, when you start a job and the first thing you get told is, make, like, well, when I started back in the 80s, <laughs> uh, make yeah. friends with the mailroom, which no longer exists. But now the, the concurrent would be, make friends with the IT customer desk manager or make friends with the woman who opens the canteen early. And it's about those people who have huge influence and have huge power within the organization, but may not on any organization chart appear anything other than a small dot at the end of a line. You're absolutely right. They, they, they are, this, this is exactly it. We've, I've seen, I've looked at uh, org, uh, organizational network charts, visualizations of our customers and people who are not leaders, who are not like in, in, in some really influential formal role, they have, they have like this enormous big dot, they're like super connected. And, yeah. and these may be people in like some specialist role where they help others with software. And, and you know, people like that can be the lifeblood of the organization. They can be the ones who keep this machine running. They, they help others out and, and understanding who they are is, is really important. I've just, sorry, you've just given me this great image of someone very important in an organization pointing at a network analysis chart with a giant dot going, who's that guy? And yeah. it's like, oh, that's Dave. Everyone knows Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just a quick question. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. just I'm really interested. When you talk about that line that connects two people uh, as a relationship, what kind of relationships? Obviously, there's the uh, relationships where you work with someone on a project or that they help you. But would it yeah. include potentially social relationships like uh, where they might both be members of, I don't know, an LGBT community network in the organization or where they might car share? Or is it much more about their role within the organization? Well, there's, there, there, there are degrees of that. So there's... There in, in, in my book, there, from what I've seen, what we have used, there are basically four types of, of network. The one that I've been talking about a lot is like collaboration. Uh, who, who are you working with? Are you working with, you know, these five people there in your network? And, and that's maybe along the line of the formal network to some degree. But then we can also ask people questions about um, 
who are the people in the company that that you trust who are the individuals that um that that you go to for non-technical advice so this is the trust network um this could be along the lines of you know you could ask the question um, who are the people you go to when you need help with a difficult situation or a conflict or when you need guidance with a political matter so this is your trust network then another alternative to that is the the problem solving or advice network so this is like technical stuff who do you go to when your um, computer isn't or when when you when the software that we're using isn't working who do you go to when you have a technical problem and then there's the communication network that's also very commonly used um, who who supplies you with information who shares information with you um, stuff like that in, in terms of what other networks they're part of, this could be included. Um, this is definitely something that, that can be used. But you could also overlay, for example, um, if, if you know, like diversity and inclusion is, is a concern, here's something that you could do. Um, you could check if your network is structured by um, basically sameness or homophily. So like there's, there's the idea that people stick together who are similar to each other and like birds birds yeah. of a feather flock together so you could say okay i have this let's say engineering team or this marketing team um are they are they are they um are they structured by their um you know by by factors that are not really work related maybe by their gender or by their right. ethnicity stuff like that so it, it, it gives you the ability to see, uh, can we maybe break up these networks a little bit and make them a little bit more diverse? Yeah. And and I think that's fascinating. And, and I love the idea of the multiple types of networks that exist contemporaneously within an organization and, and the layers to that, I, I think are fascinating. Do you, when, when you're sort of creating visualizations of these networks and exploring them, do you see uh, relationships between them? Is your trust relation, uh, your trust network, similar to your communication network or your expertise network, or can they be widely different? They could be totally different. Uh, that's that's a fascinating yeah. thing. You, you have um, you, the, the people that others trust. Oh, let me rephrase this. People that are the technical advisors uh -huh. uh, that have all the expertise may not necessarily the people that others trust. Now, let's take a guess who gets promoted in a company. Yeah. You, know, you get you promote people who are like really techni technically savvy. Now they're in a leadership role and this leadership role uh, forces them to take a more relational, a more social component and they're out of their depth. So yeah. um, one, one use of ONA is actually thinking about promotions to, to think about should we promote people who are not only technically strong, but who have been uh, able consistently to build strong interpersonal relationships with with others in the company so yeah they can be totally different that's that's a fascinating thing about it yeah it's really cool that it fits into the sort of hiring or recruitment promotion decisions um that's interesting um when you go about trying to analyze a network man and, and to you know you're working with your clients how do you how do you start that process i mean what are your tools do you go in and observe do you do surveys do you get into their systems and see who emails who? I mean, what are your tools? There's um, like in, I, I can talk about like the, 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 the typical usual way and then maybe a little bit how, how we do it. So there's cool. basically two, two clusters. Um, there's active data collection and passive data collection. Active data collection is essentially sending out a survey and asking people, please list the people who are in your trust network and your communication network 
who are you collaborating with and who are the people you go to for problem solving so the four categories that i talked earlier about and that's yeah. that's that's a short short survey and you can attach that to your you know other company culture surveys and stuff like that the second one yeah. is passive data collection and that is like the big leap ahead you um, you can analyze the digital trace. You, you, you mentioned email. You can look at who's actually exchanging emails with whom in the company. Uh, Slack yeah. messages, same thing. Yeah. Some yeah. companies have, you know, I've, I have never seen it done, but, you know, you, if you have RFID badges in your, your company, yeah. you could, like, analyze who's been, you know, um, co-located with others, you know, who has yeah, yeah, conversations yeah. in the hallway. Um, I've... Again, I've Incredible. never seen this done. I find it a little invasive. I'm not sure what to think about this. But yeah, there's certainly data risks around it. And yeah. yeah, it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask about the, the sort of big brother aspect of some of that stuff. Um, so I, I'm slightly conflicted as, as it sounds like you are. I think it's fascinating and a great toy and hugely interesting and lots of great data. But yeah. I just feel slightly ethically wary about, about some of the direction. I think, I think it's really, so I'm really interested to, absolutely in that ethical question but just aside from that for a minute um i don't know if you're familiar with james and my background but my background is predominantly in the third sector which is the non-profit sector in u.s terms mm -hmm. and um one of the things we see all the time is that people who work for organizations also hold voluntary roles and those voluntary roles might mm -hmm. be quite senior but main or have have high levels of power so a classic example would be i am an administrator for a 300 man organization, but I also happen yeah. to be the coach of the national netball team, let's say. And yeah. so one of the things that could be extraordinary is an opportunity for sports organizations and nonprofits to understand the different dynamics and relationships between people with their different hats on, because in those organizations, they quite often have two or maybe even three or four hats. Mm. And, oh. and that visibility of, so there's a classic example. I know someone who's in a role and they're brilliant at it, and they work alongside someone and you could sit in the meeting and never know that one yeah. of them coached the other for 10 years because they yeah. used to coach them as a junior and a, a young senior. Right. I, and, and suddenly you can visualize that. That would be so cool. It's I've, I've, I've not seen this exact thing done, but like the research and the data suggests that, that you're really onto something. I've, I've yet to see a network where people visualize, um, you know, network connections to outside to, to other organizations that say you, you, your volunteer work. However, I think this would be a really interesting uh, type of research because the, the research suggests that the people who are in these boundary spanner roles, who are basically between the, the, the single connectors between other, um, other networks, basically, they are these, these brokers of information, they have... Um, a higher probability or they're in a better position to be truly innovative um, and here's why like innovation is like coming up with new ideas but you base your new ideas on on what you know research calls unique non-redundant uh, concepts or information so in other words you cannot just marinate in your own in your, in your own <laughs> yes. uh, juices all the time you gotta get you get some fresh ideas yeah. so if, if if you're a coach outside maybe or a work for a nonprofit in, in some fashion maybe that is the the source for this unique non-redundant information that can really enrich um you you work in your in your day job you know this this could be very important for organizations to understand yeah it's really that sort of interdisciplinary knowledge type of piece isn't well, it and we and... see it i mean what you're talking about anecdotally we see 
all the time in our sector. So we mm -hmm. see people who volunteer for one similar organization, but work for another in a different sport or a different um, cause. Yeah. And because they volunteer and exposed to different processes, you see that innovation spread much faster than yeah. you would have done previously because they, they just wouldn't have people working in them that they would be exposed to the back end. And I think, um, I also think it's incredible. So the bit uh, that you talk around, around um, trust, because without quoting lots of terrible films, with trust comes great power, right? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. and one of the really, really interesting things to me is the power that gets held within those sort of big dots, as you refer to them on the diagram, you know, the guys with all those connections yeah. who maybe have no resource power, no legitimate power in terms of their position, and yet seem to mm -hmm. be able to block innovation as well as... Yes. Right? I, that happens you, all the time. It happens all the time, and you're right on. And here's here's the kicker like companies just don't know who these people are like even the most yeah. psychologically savvy manager they can identify a few people but they usually get it wrong there's some data behind this so so drawing this out can allow you to see um who are the people who can either facilitate change or just Im impede it and um yeah. there's 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 actually research on that 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 is absolutely lovely to to indicate um if if you want to have if you want to like initiate change in your organization, so this whole big big body of change management, you know, the, the, the often companies say, okay, we got to uh, you know get the the leaders on board and the CEO, and that's all true. Like if you read HBR articles on this topic, they always yeah. start with you know you could, the CEO has to be involved. Yeah, sponsorship but, from the top, and... It, and and none of that is wrong. But to to Jane's point, the, the if we can identify the people who may be the detractors um but you know the people who are influential in this network highly connected people um that others listen to that are part of their um you know technical advice network for example and their trust network how do we how do we um you know talk to them how do we prepare them and does it make sense to include them with all the other you know people in your alliance that that you that you form when you have a change management yeah. project yeah, it's cool. It seems like there are lots of uses for this. I'd like to come on to those in a minute, but I guess I, I've heard about things like organizational network analysis on and off for years, and it feels like it's been around for a while, but it feels like it's sort of getting more and more traction now. Have you got thoughts on why that is? Yeah. Is there a reason? Or I, I think it's it, it's it's twofold. There's um, it, and it has been around for for really quite a while, going back into the you know 1950s and 60s in its beginning beginnings. But I think two things really matter. And the first one is data collection has been, has gotten more and more easy. I mean, you can, yeah. you have survey tools for free at your hands. You can go into, you know, Google Forms or whatever and, and, and build the survey. Um, this has always been easy, but it's even getting easier. And then the second one is the passive data collection. So in, in um, like companies may have these data points at hand without having to collect it. So now they yeah. can just harvest this data. And the third one is, the software that allows you to analyze this has gotten really democratized. Um, you okay. don't have to buy an expensive analytics tool. Um, you can go online. Uh, there's, you know, for example, Gephi. There are many different libraries for R and Python that you can use. Um, there are mm -hmm. uh, JavaScript, uh, VisJS. There's, there, there's just a lot of stuff out there that you can use without having like a deep, deep training on these to 
to build your own uh, network analysis. And I, I, I think it, I think people should do that. It, it's it, it's not a huge barrier to entry. And I think all of this put together is the reason why this has been uh, popping up repeatedly lately. And so you said it's getting a lot easier to do and easier to analyze with the software and things like that. What sort of scales of organization do you see taking advantage of ONA at the minute and using it? Do, do you, is there a differentiation between the types of organizations who do look to undertake ONA and those who don't? Um, I, I, I see a lot of organizations do it who have uh, maybe somebody like a HR analytics lead or a data scientist or somebody like that in there. So in other words, large organizations who have um, people who have maybe an intrinsic interest in that, who are informed about it, um, I, I see them do it. A friend of mine works for for a big insurance company, and they use this to um, think about what kind of attrition risks they have in their company. And, and he has found, for example, that attrition is contagious. That you know, if, if one group of people experiences somebody leaving the company, that the probability goes up slightly in that network of people. So for them, this is super interesting. Um, yeah. I'm. So it's it's maybe right now more in bigger companies, but I don't see why small companies, um, you know, not not like the the, the uh, MNCs of the world, wouldn't use it because you know the smaller the company is, the the easier it is to implement. Yeah, you, when you were talking about that analytics piece, I read something a month or so ago, probably a bit longer than that, where IBM said that they can predict with something like a ninety five percent accuracy somebody's departure within six months time. Um, through yeah, analyzing yeah. loads of data points. I don't know how much I really believe it, but I guess that's an indication of all these. I guess it depends how much information they've got access to, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, if they've got a six-month notice period, I'd say they can probably do it with 100%. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more if they've got... If I won't even say they're a bigger company than me, but, you know. Um, yeah, cool. So what other types of uses are there of LNA? I mean, if you were to think about, you know, why people should be interested in this, and what some of the outcomes and benefits are. We've touched on a few, but could you give a little bit of a summary of what maybe chief execs or um, you know leaders in HR could get from undertaking ONA? Yeah, so I'm, for me, I, I, I see them in two rough clusters. So the, 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 the first cluster is um, you know thinking about the individual. And I kind of mentioned, I touched on this a little bit, but you can look for people who are in risk of burnout, who, um, uh, maybe in a unduly powerful role. So somebody who has a big centrality, maybe they have uh, a lot of influence. You can think about maybe if you if you need to mitigate that. Uh, attrition risk is a is a, is a big one. Um, for change management, you can identify influencers. Um, but there, you know, there are other uses that are more at the structural level. So, like one of our clients looked at the network and they realized that they're deeply, deeply siloed. So mm -hmm. people within one department of the organization are not connected to others. And even sometimes within departments, people are not connected to each other. And specifically, they're not exchanging information. So for a talent manager um, and for a leader of a company, this is often like a bit of an aha moment where they, where they say, oh, I, yeah. I kind of always knew it, but now this really shows me that we have these silos. And in, in, in the ONA literature, it's called the structural hole, which is, I think, yeah. very descriptive. There's, there's, there's a gap in the structure. These parts of the organization are not talking to each other. And that has deep implications. Yeah, interesting. And 
how live do um, ONAs remain? I mean, how, how frequently do people need to refresh their understanding? If you're talking about redundancy risk, that seems to imply that, you know, some of the, you, you update it to show that individuals are dropping off of your network. How, how frequently do people refresh these? Yeah, this is this is where where the passive data connection, uh, I'm sorry, data collection really shines. So, um, in active, you collect data in a survey, so that's point in time. If you use passive, uh, you can refresh this, you know, as as often as you need to. And in in our model, uh, this this data is refreshed nightly because these networks may be changing on a daily basis. So it, it really depends on what, you, what your use case is. If you want to kick off a conversation, if you want to build an initial understanding, you know, you probably don't have to do this very often. You can maybe do this along the lines of, a, of an engagement survey. But if you want to see how things are developing, um, then you know, more frequent data collection is, is desirable. This is there are a lot of trade-offs here. You, know, you, you, you don't want to overwhelm people with you know, ever-changing uh, uh, pictures. Um, but you know this this information does change, and you want to keep it um, you know up to date. Yeah. So I guess thinking about this, I mean, it seems like there are some real you know benefits, and we've got some of those concerns that we've identified about you know data privacy and, and that kind of stuff as well. But if organizations were interested in starting to do this, um, and say they, they they didn't really do anything around organizational network analysis. How do you think they mm-hmm. could go about starting, and and what do you think their sort of journey might be, in, in you know discovering what it could do for them? Well, I would I would really recommend any company to 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 do some of this, even if it's just dipping your toe in the water, and then being a uh, doing it yourself, and then being a more informed consumer of maybe consulting services if you choose to do so. So something that that you can do quite easily is design your own active uh, data collection survey. Um, there are templates on the internet uh, that, that you can just use for this type of purpose. Um, I'm talking a four or five question survey. It's right. not a long survey. Um, collect, collect this data. That's easy enough. It's essentially doesn't involve any, any software that you have to buy. Um, and then you need to find somebody, if, if it's not yourself, who has a knack or some interest in data collection. And then you could, you know, uh, put this data into analysis software like I, I, I like Gephi. Um, you, if you have somebody with with R uh, background yeah. in the organization or other software, they they could do that relatively easily. It's a little bit of a learning curve, but you know everything has a learning curve. Yeah. Um, and and have a look at it and see if it's something that is helpful for you. Um, use it as an exploratory tool. I, I had great conversations with clients where they looked at the network. And it triggered just these really in-depth conversations that they would have never had otherwise. And yeah. I think that in itself is a useful outcome. At, at a later stage, if, if you want to, if you feel like, okay, this is something that, that I'm interested in, or if you have a high-stake situation, if you have like a, a merger or something of that nature, um, may, maybe it's appropriate to pull in um, uh, somebody to help you with that. But as, as a very first step, uh, such low-hanging fruit. It is no not rocket science. It's something you can train yourself on using the resources that are abundant on the internet. I would just I would just dip your toes in it. Yeah, I absolutely love the uh, the concept of using it to help organisations uh, manage where they have silo issues. It's something mm-hmm. we see all the time in the kind of size organisations that I work with. 
And um, and it's just we hear it consistently time again that there are silos within certain functions, and it's always it's never yep. across the board. It's always uncertain. So being able to visualize that is for a very practical organization is just such a great opportunity. Yeah, there's so many things that yeah, that people I, kind of know in an organization. People know that there are silos, or they know that somebody is very well connected, or they know that somebody's very trusted, things like that. But to to get the yeah. evidence behind it is just so helpful. Exactly. Like an, an ONA can give you a one number uh, summary analysis of how siloed you are. It can tell you this is the modularity index um, of of how siloed you are, and then you can restructure, rerun it, and see if your modularity index has gone down. If you if you're a little bit more homogeneously distributed, but it's also you know a qualitative analysis tool to say, okay, it looks like our software. Uh, folks and the product managers are not talking to each other. Maybe that's yeah. a good thing. Maybe we want to do this on purpose. Uh, maybe we don't want our customer support to be talking with our engineers, so they they are otherwise they are, don't get anything done. You know, they, yeah. but the, this moves this into like deliberate decision making, not just acquiescing to the status quo. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 funny. The more you talk, the more I am both excited and terrified. Because I can, I can see how much help it could be in so many scenarios. But I also, yeah. being realistic about some of the people in the world, um, I can see how an intent to improve things. So, for example, I could imagine a scenario where instead of just saying who's in your network and how strong is it, what's the quality of those relationships and how uh, mutually beneficial are they, and suddenly. You move from there to starting to look at grading people and the quality of relationships they uh, they create, and and we already do that to some extent in some jobs. But it's it, I, like you can like you say about being unsure about some of the ethics. It's so difficult because it is so powerful. Like all good psychological tools, right? If it's good and and powerful, then there's a challenge to it, and you have to manage it. And I think. I guess my one comment would be: if people are going to dip their toes in, just think really carefully about how you're giving your employees a voice to decide how what data gets used and how. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, we we build a tool in which people give feedback to each other. So there's exchange of somewhat sensitive, maybe not sensitive, but very personal information. Mm -hmm. And and we, we have found that if the company explains and is transparent and communicates very clearly how the data is being used, why it is being used, um, how it is not used to build like a, a big brother scenario against you and, yeah. and mind control you. I'm, I'm being yeah. facetious here, but this is yeah, not a laughing yeah, yeah. matter. If, if you do this right and you have a basic trust in your company, it, it can be done. But I completely agree with you. It, it has to be done the right way because, you know, people just get scared of, uh, you know, and the company knowing all of these things about you. It's, it's definitely something to consider. Yeah. Well, and you're right. It's it's about the level of trust you have in your organization and the people that lead it. That's It's as simple as that. And uh, But where you do, and you're getting really rich data, that's, that's pretty powerful, right? Yeah, it could be a big, big advantage for an organization, yeah, as absolutely. well as being hugely insightful. And, and as you said, these things can be used to improve organizational performance, but also quality of existence for individuals in organizations as well. Um, and if your name's Dave and you work in, the, work in the IT team and your CEO comes to see you tomorrow, you know that's because <laughs> they've started doing ONA. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, I think we're pretty much getting to the end of our time on this episode. Um, to as, as we get there, have you got any thoughts on what others, what, what people could do to learn a little bit more about ONA and, and maybe what they could do to learn a little bit more about Rabbit and what you guys do as well? Yeah, if you if you want to dive into the the, the ONA topic, there's you know like a, a simple Google search will will get you started, and, and you can go down go down that rabbit hole. Um, I would I would probably my recommendation would be to look for um, uh, good books um, that that capture this topic a little bit more more thoroughly. Um, but there are uh, you know tutorials on youtube you know just just to to get yourself started and then start your own journey all of this information is really very easily available on the internet this is not some arcane uh you know knowledge that that some people have and others others cannot have um if if you want to learn more about rabbit um we we can be found very easily under rabbitanalytics.com and this is this is rabbit with r-h-a-b-i-t like the the r and then habit analytics.com um, and and we uh, we pro- we provide this uh, kind of information um, as as well, but we not um, this is not our only thing that we do. Um, it's it's not our main differentiator. For us, it's a great way to capture and make digestible the other information that we're providing. Um, so it's the other consulting firms who very focused only on ONA. So that's that's not us. Cool. Well, that's, um, that's really helpful. It's been a really excellent and interesting conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, lovely to speak to you. And thank you so much for sharing all of that. My delight. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so you're back with us now. That was our conversation with Alexander about organizational network analysis, ONA. And I thought it was interesting. What were your, what were your thoughts? Uh, I thought it was really interesting, loved talking to Alexander. I think he's clearly someone who's really passionate about his subject and, and how it might be able to help people. I, I am a little bit scared of it. Like it feels like there are a whole host of challenges around making sure that you use data like that and information like that in a ethical stance. But I think done right, it could be amazing. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, and there are some really interesting things that we touched on there. One of the points that Alexander raised a few times that, that I really like is that what the ONA shows you isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's for you to interpret a line to your organization. So he said in some instances, it's good to have a silo between maybe your you know, frontline staff and your engineers. Or maybe sometimes it's good to have somebody with lots of connections, but maybe sometimes it isn't, right? So on their own, these organizational networks are neither one thing nor another. It's how they fit with our intentions as organizations that I think is quite interesting. Yeah, and uh, I just, it feels like you could end up going down a rabbit hole. Do you like the pun? Hey, hey. <laughs> but I do. I feel like you know, it's it's you. You could look at it a very light touch way, but also there is a depth to what you might discover and what you, what you might learn about your organisation. Yeah, I'd love to get involved and actually do some of this stuff. So um, maybe one day we'll do that. You're so funny. I was literally just thinking. I wonder if there's an organisation that would let me. Do yeah. This. Can I just play, please? Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll find a way. Um, in the meantime, don't forget if you want to learn more about what Alexander and his team do. Um, You can check them out at rabbitanalytics.com. That's R-H-A-B-I-T. And I guess it's just time for us to say goodbye until the next time. So thanks again for listening. Bye. Till next time. Hi. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.